God deserves every praise from every creature every day. This is the Everyday Christian Podcast. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green, and today we have a special guest with us, Drew Suttles. He is the host of the Weathering the Storm podcast, which is one of the podcasts that will be featured on our upcoming Scattered Abroad Network. And so I'm certainly thankful that Drew has decided to accept our invite to join us on the podcast today. And today we're going to be discussing... Everyday Christian Mail. Drew, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, man. Thank you so much uh, for having me today. Uh, my name is Drew Suttles. I'm originally from Adairsville, Georgia, which is up in the northwest corner of Georgia. Uh, currently, I'm down in Quitman, Georgia, which is uh, around Valdosta, about 20 miles north of the Florida line. Uh, last Sunday, actually, was our one-year anniversary here. Uh, so, very thankful to be working with the congregation here in Quitman. Uh, previously, we were in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, worked there for a little over a year. Uh, prior to that, went to the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh, Chase and I went to school there. He was a, a year ahead of me, uh, but we enjoyed our time there in Memphis. Uh, prior to that, I was at Freed Hartman University where I played baseball for four years. I met my wife there. Uh, we'll be married six years on November the 8th of this year, uh, and we have a family of six. <laughs> We've got a five-year-old son, Jackson, two-year-old girl, Henley, and then six-month-old twins, Palmer and McKenna. So one boy, three girls, full house. Uh, but the Lord has really, really blessed us, and I'm very thankful uh, for this opportunity to be with you today. Well, I appreciate you for joining us today, and you're a busy man, aren't you? <laughs> yes, sir, but I'm thankful for it. In addition to his preaching responsibilities, uh, Drew's also a coach, and he's a big sports fan like I am. Yep. What, uh, go Braves. So. That's right. They're rolling right now. Yeah, they are. They they won yesterday, didn't they? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I'm a Cardinals fan, but they're already out, so I'm going for the Braves now. Yes, sir. Come on. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I appreciate Drew for joining us uh, on this, and uh, if you haven't checked out his podcast, Weathering the Storm, definitely do so. It's a very good podcast, and it helps us weathering the storms of life, and he's had me on his podcast before, so now we're going to return the favor and let him be on our podcast at this time, but I'll, I'll put the link to his podcast in the show notes and definitely check that out. All right, well, let's get into our discussion for today, the Everyday Christian Mail. And before we get into the Everyday Christian Mail, I want us to kind of make a preliminary statement, and that is, like it or not, God made male and female different. It's always been that way from the beginning, and that's a good thing. And I think there are many people today who sadly uh, either refuse to admit that or flat out don't believe that. And when we point this out, they think it's a bad thing. But male and females complement one another. And I think that there are many in society today who are trying to blur the lines between male and female. But from the beginning, that was not so. Drew, thinking about what Jesus said about males and females, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and following, do you remember what he said 
about uh, the distinction between male and female? Yeah, absolutely. When they came and asked him, he said, have you not read? He takes them back to the beginning. Like you said, this is God's plan uh, from the beginning. Uh, there in verse 4, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God is doing together, let not man separate. So Jesus clearly made that distinction, reiterating what we already learned from Genesis chapter 2. Absolutely. And speaking of Genesis chapter 2, God says repeatedly uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it is good. And he's creating all, you know, he's creating light, he's creating the firmament, uh, dividing the water and the land and so on and so forth, creating animals. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then in the end of the chapter, verse 31, chapter, chapter 1, he says, it is very good. When did he say that? He said that after creating man in his own image. But then we find out going into chapter 2, that something was gravely missing, and that was a helpmeet, a, a suitable helper for man. So what does God do? He parades all these animals uh, by Adam, and Adam names all the animals, and there's not found amongst any of the animals a suitable helper to be uh, the complement to man. And, you know, we, we get into, well, why did God do that? Well, we... It's conjecture, but but we think, you know, maybe he's showing Adam, he's proving a point that as great as these animals are that have been created, they're not suitable. They're not the complement that you need. Now, I'm about to show you what I'm about to create for you, basically. And so what does he do? He causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he takes a rib from Adam, and he forms the woman, Eve. In Genesis 2, verse 23... Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You know, the difference between man and woman was immediately recognizable. Yes. Adam knew that there was something different about this woman that he has been blessed to receive. And, and he truly appreciated this blessing from God. Yeah. You know, nowadays I think that many want to change this. Um, you know, trying to blur the lines between men and women's hairstyles and uh, clothing. And you see men walking around with extremely tight-fitting jeans that are obvious women's jeans, essentially. Um, just trying to blur the lines and even blurring the lines with pronouns being used for people who don't want to claim to be male or female, even though they were born biologically male or female. But we see all this blurring of the lines, and God has to frown upon it. Absolutely. In the Bible, one example of, of sin that was taking place with regards to this blurring of the lines was effeminacy. Yeah. What, what exactly is effeminacy? Uh, I would say that's just acting in a way that, that you are not created to act. Right. You're taking on the form as a man. We're talking about a Christian man here. As a male, you know, as, as the way that God made us, 
trying to go over to the other side. And like you said earlier, uh, I'm thankful that we're different, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm thankful to be a man, and I'm thankful that women are women. I'm thankful that my wife is what she is. Uh, you know, and I've got a son, I've got three girls, and, and I'm certainly going to uh, make that distinction for them and, and show the importance. But the taste while we're on this, if you don't mind, I think about Romans chapter 1. Yep. Uh, I think it speaks to it. Uh, it talks about God's wrath on unrighteousness. Beginning in verse 18, really going to the end of the chapter. Uh, but beginning in verse 24, it says that God gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. It says they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. And then he's going to explain, Paul, is what that means. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. We talk about, you know, effeminacy and, and things like that. Well, there's the description. That they exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, and then it says committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so right here in Romans 1, we find that's against the natural use. Uh, if you're a man, be a man. Don't try to go over to the woman. And likewise for the woman. Right. Why? That's the way God made us. Absolutely. You know, there are obvious physical differences between a male and a female. And some of that is, you know, appearance related even. And it has been that way from the beginning of time. And, and there are times in history where those lines are trying to be blurred uh, by by the public, and, and it's not right. Uh, but there's also emotional differences between a male and a female. Um, there's differences in roles that we see in the Bible. There's differences in abilities. For instance, you will not have a bio, biological male who will ever be able to bear a child. It, it's physically impossible. And so there's different roles that male and female play, and the Bible speaks of this. And if we're going to speak the whole truth, the whole counsel of God, we certainly have to speak on these subjects, even though that they are very much frowned upon in much of society today. Absolutely. So on the podcast today, we are definitely going to affirm the traditional roles of, of manhood, and, and next week, Lord willing, the traditional roles of, of womanhood. We have to to do that because these new ideas regarding male and female or trying to bring about uh, kind of a mix of the two, if you will, are foreign to what the Bible teaches, and, and we certainly cannot uh, endorse anything that's foreign to what the Bible teaches. So we're going to get into the everyday Christian male at this time, and number one, we want to talk about the characteristics of a godly man in general. Drew, what are some general characteristics of a godly man as found in Scripture? And then by extension, we'll go into more specific, a godly husband and then a godly father. Okay. Uh, the first passage that comes to mind is 1 Timothy six eleven. This is when Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, his own son of the faith, and he refers to him as a man of God. So we're talking about a godly man in Timothy. He says, but you, O man of God, flee these things talked about the love of money, he talked about loving these worldly things. He said, you flee these things and pursue, and he's going to give a list of six things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, 
gentleness. If you're looking for a godly man, that's the characteristics that you're going to find. Those six things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now, as you search through the scriptures, there are uh, some godly men that we think about. And I have three that I want to share with, with our listeners and, and maybe some characteristics they have. Number one is Joseph. Joseph was a man of integrity. Uh, Genesis 39.9, you remember Potiphar's wife kept coming after him. And he could have said, you know what? I'm away from my family. They did me wrong. Nobody will ever know if I do this. But he didn't. He said, how can I do this and sin against God? And he ran. Right. Uh, unlike David, David went to it. And here's Joseph who ran from it. So he was a man of integrity. Moses was a man of humility. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says he was the meekest man uh, in the earth. And in Psalm 90, in the title, it says, A Psalm of Moses, the Man of God. So here's a godly man, and he was one who practiced humility. And then a third example is that of Joshua. And Joshua had accountability. In Joshua 1, 7 through 9, we read, uh, you know, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, Joshua, it's your time to step up and lead. And he was accountable to that role. He said, I'm a man. I'm going to lead God's people. And God kept reminding him, be strong and good courage. I'm with you. And then at the end of that book, one of my favorite passages, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you talk about a godly man. I, my prayer is that every godly man, godly father, godly husband will wake up and make that same statement. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, regardless of what's going on, you know, in other places. So I, I think those three individuals in particular, and those characteristics, integrity, Humility and accountability. That's what makes up a godly man. That is, that's excellent, Drew, and I appreciate you for mentioning that. And I like how you kind of categorize all those. And I also like how you point to First Timothy. Um, if there are men listening to this who want to be better men, you know, certainly better Christians, but also better men in general, what better books to turn to first than you know, First and Second Timothy, Titus. These were both books that were written to young preachers, who Paul was trying to not only help them to be good preachers, but just to be good, faithful men in general. And there's a lot in there about purity, uh, about leadership, and and speaking the truth, even in the face of error and things of that nature. So I definitely appreciate that you uh, you mentioned that passage is kind of your jumping off point. I've got four kind of general uh, characteristics of a godly man that I've just kind of found in various places, various scriptures. And the first is leadership. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. You know, sometimes in Bible history, apparently women had to kind of step up and lead because the men were not there. Uh, whether there were just no faithful men in any sense of the word or the men were too too scared to step up and lead. I don't know, but I think of, of women like Deborah in the book of Judges that had to step up and lead. And I think Deborah had to do that because there weren't men who were doing their job and leading in that particular part of, of Israel's history. But the Bible teaches that men are to be spiritual leaders. And certainly that applies to the church, but it just applies to everyday life as well. And in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, 
the context being that God was looking for for a man to step up and do the right thing when so much was going wrong. He wanted somebody to step up and lead and do the right thing so that he could spare them from destruction that was inevitable. And he says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. There weren't any men who were willing to step up and take the leadership that God wants men to take. So godly men, we need to lead. Uh, We need to lead in the church, whether we're elders, whether we're deacons, whether we're preachers, uh, whether we're just men who step up and, and lead and worship or, or um, helping helping people to, you know, younger Christians to, to develop and mature, we need to step up and lead. We also need to step up and lead our families. And if we're husbands, if we're fathers, that is absolutely crucial. And we'll kind of get into that some more in a little bit. But my next point is kind of an offshoot of of leadership, and that is being strong and courageous. And you mentioned this in Joshua. Uh, Joshua 1 verse 9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's another passage in Scripture that says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we need to have faith And as an offshoot of that faith, we need to be strong and courageous. In whatever storms of life we face, we need to lead our families. Uh, We need to be leaders in the church. And that takes inner strength. It takes courage in order to do that the way that God wants us to do it. Also, uh, another offshoot of this is stand firm and stand tall. Uh, upon the principles of God's word. Ephesians 6 verse 13, in that context, we're dealing with the whole armor of God. And what are we fighting? We're fighting powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Well, men, and, and this certainly applies to women too, but thinking about the leadership role of men, we need to stand firm and tall in this fight that we're we're fighting. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We've got to stand for the truth. And I like the old country song, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. That is so true. And as we see uh, our, our nation and our world fall further into moral degeneracy, We've got to stand for the truth. We've got to stand for biblical morals, and, and that's difficult, and it's going to get even more difficult the further we devolve into uh, more degeneracy. But men, we've got to do it. And and there's few, but we've got to stand in that gap and stand firm and stand tall. But there's one other fourth uh, general principle for leadership for men, and that is we've got to make sure we have the proper priorities. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the other lesser things, they'll be added to us. But our bottom line, most important thing, is we've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's for ourselves. 
That's for our wives and children. If we have wives and children, that's for our our fellow Christians in our churches. And that's for people out on the street that we should be trying to convert as well. The kingdom of God, the church, is our utmost priority. And we need to be seeking to uh, strengthen it, edify it, and expand the borders of it. All right. Anything you'd like to add to that before we kind of go into more specific uh, husbands? Yeah, uh, very quickly. First Corinthians 16 and verse 13 is almost, uh, I guess, summarizing what both of us have talked about if we were to combine all, all of our points. Paul gives these final exhortations to his brethren. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Those are four godly principles that we need if we're going to be godly men. Absolutely. That is certainly uh, the case. And I appreciate you for for pointing that out. So we've talked about general biblical principles for for men in general, but let's also talk about general characteristics for a godly husband. And I've got a few that I've thought of. And Drew, we really could have a whole season on this subject. Godly husbands, godly fathers. Um, But we're going to do this quickly. But the first is a godly husband is a provider. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, we read, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Or the King James says an infidel. That's harsh language. We must provide uh, for our families as men. And can can a, a wife help with that? Well, certainly she can. You look at Proverbs 31, you look at some other passages, we see uh, ladies that are helping support their families as well, financially. But certainly a a man has, as one of his utmost responsibilities, provision for his family. And um, sadly, I think there there are many men who do not step up and fulfill this role as they should today. And um, we can get into problems with society and uh, taking advantage of the system and that sort of thing. But God says if a man's not willing to work, neither should he eat. And if he's not willing to step up and provide for his own, especially his own household, then he's worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an infidel. So that's the first point that I'd like to make. But then also, I would like to state uh, diligence. You know, the Bible is full of passages about diligence. Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Thinking about providing, how can we provide if we're not diligent? Uh, On the job, we, we need to be hard workers. I think of Colossians 3, verse 23, which says, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not to men. Well, that would include the workplace. Uh, we are to be diligent, hard workers in that providing role in the workplace. And we're to be, as Christians, we ought to be the best employee at the place that we're working, period. Um, if, if we're not, then something's gravely wrong, and, and we really need to, to check ourselves. Um, again, leadership as it pertains to being a husband, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Just as Christ is the head of the church, and that is, we think, the foremost position um, as far as the role is concerned in the church, he is the head of it. Well, the foremost leadership position in the family is the father and the husband. And wives are to be in submission to husbands just as they submit to the Lord because of that important leadership position. Also, a couple more I've got. Um, independence, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined, King James says, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When I think about premarital counseling, uh, one of the things that I mention is if a young man is not willing and ready and able to leave his father and mother, he's not ready to be a husband. He's not ready to provide for a family. So he doesn't need to get married. And I think we need to make sure our young men and, and young ladies understand that there's a leaving of father and mother that takes place when you get married. And can you get advice from them? Sure. Can you get help from them from time to time when it's needed? Sure. But at the same time, you've got to be your own self-sufficient family unit, independent of interference that might not be uh, the best thing that's going on, interference from in-laws and so on and so forth. So a godly husband understands his role that he is independent of his mom and dad, of her mom and dad, and we are going to or I am going to lead this family ultimately to heaven. And then one more point for a godly husband that I have, and that is affection. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3 says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now in context, that's talking about this the sexual affection that is due in a marriage relationship. But certainly, other types of affection are just as important. Uh, playfulness and uh, flirting, hand-holding, hugging, all those sorts of things. Um, a godly husband is, is going to kind of pay attention to those needs uh, of his wife. And, and we, you know, there's a lot, you know, uncomfortable topics. But still, talking about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if a couple is dealing with issues in that realm, really one of the first places they need to look is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah. Because Paul very adequately, and maybe even a little bit bluntly, but it's needed, he states, look, the husband is to take care of, of the wife's needs and the wife is to take care of the, the husband's needs. And so that is a that's a biblical role. Yes. of a godly husband as well. And we'll kind of leave it at that for now. Yeah. Drew, do you have any comment on, on those five that I've mentioned or uh, any that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, in fact, we had several of the same ones. Uh, this is fresh on my mind because I've been doing premarital counseling the past three weeks. I'm actually uh, officiating a wedding this Saturday, Lord willing. So we just finished our final session. And our final session was looking at the distinctive roles of a husband and a wife. And so I just kind of carried it over from what I studied with them. And I had four of them. 
Um, and very similar to what you had. The husband is to love his wife, honor his wife, lead his wife, and provide for his wife. So again, we were on the same page with that. I know one that you brought out that I appreciated was the independence, uh, leaving father and mother, and that is a big issue. And I heard an illustration I thought was pretty good. Uh, this this young girl, she was just married, and her and her husband were having some problems, and so she called her dad and said, Daddy, I need to come home. And he said, well, you are home. I, I thought that was pretty good, and that's true. Uh, when you leave father and mother and cleave until your wife, you become one flesh. And now that's the family. Yep. Um, and so, like you said, I, I try to share that with individuals that I'm counseling, couples that I'm counseling, to make sure uh, that you understand when, when you become uh, unified and, you know, as, as a married couple, uh, you've got to have that independence and realize now there's a new family unit uh, being involved. Uh, but everything that, that you said there, I had very similar points. I think um, also to lead his wife, you mentioned Ephesians 5, and that's, in my estimation, is the best text to go to. Absolutely. Uh, to look at the role of the husband and the wife and look at the parallel between Christ and the church. Uh, but one other one that I'd like to, to emphasize very quickly is the husband uh, is to honor his wife, and that's First Peter 3, 7. Yep, I was going right there. The yeah, it's... Uh, Give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And, of course, that's not saying that she's weaker. Uh, women are very strong emotionally, very strong with their will. But just as a general statement, weaker physically. Right. The man is to be there, uh, you know, to lead her in that respect. But I would say by extension, even going back to the point about the husband providing for his wife, that's not just physically. It's spiritually. It's emotionally. It's taking the time to listen to them. Uh, it's taking the time to uh, be sacrificial and do things for them. Um, and that's the last thing I want to mention when it comes to loving your wife. Uh, I think First John three eighteen fits, but it's not love and you know word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Yes, we need to tell our wives that we love them, but we need to show it also. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you can say I love you all day long, but uh, you know if you, you spend the whole weekend away. Being, doing something selfish and your wife's at home with the kid, you're not being very thoughtful. Right. That's going to be taxing on a marriage. Yep. And so for husbands being the leader, be aware of that and truly love your wife by being sacrificial. Yeah, that's a tough one. If we've got any hunters or fishers li listening in the audience. Football players. Yeah, you want to get away on that weekend trip, right? And if, yeah. if a husband does that once in a blue moon, that's one thing. But if he's gone every weekend... And he's neglecting his wife and children. That, that's a problem. Yes, it is. Right. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I appreciate that you, you mentioned First Peter 3, verse 7. That's one that I had written down here. I was hoping you might cover. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you give honor to your wife. There is a position of honor. Even in, in being that weaker vessel, there's a, a sense of honor and protection that we as godly men ought to to be uh, seeking to provide for them. And, you know, you think of the the Southern gentleman. He holds the door open for, for the, the lady that walks through. He, he right. opens the car door. He says, ma'am. Um, sadly, that's kind of being lost in society, and that's not a good thing. Uh, there needs no, to be right. that deep respect for a woman. That's right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, the comments that you had there, and, Next, we're going to go into the characteristics 
of a godly father. And, and Drew, I'll let you go first this time. What What are some okay. characteristics of a godly father? Well, the first thing that jumps out to me, uh, if we're thinking about Scripture, is Ephesians 6, 4. And it always stands out to me because the charge is given to fathers. And that's not to say that mothers do not play a significant role in bringing up children. They certainly do, especially from a spiritual aspect. We talked about that earlier. You know, if the man's not where he needs to be, the wife, the mother steps up and leads her children. But Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That is a, a statement to fathers. And that's a huge responsibility uh, that we need to take up as fathers if we're going to be godly. Uh, but if you think about characteristics of a godly father, someone once said that the first picture children have of God the Father is their earthly father. And if you take time to kind of meditate on that, it'll really, it'll really wake you up. The way that I respond to my children, the way that I show them love, the way that I'm long-suffering with them, the way that I discipline them, that's how they're going to grow up viewing God the Father. And so that's extremely important if we're going to be godly fathers to do what the Bible says. And just as God is our Father, we think about how He disciplines us, right? How He's long-suffering with us. We need to do our best to put that into practice with our children so they don't grow up resenting us or worse, resenting God. But they have a healthy biblical picture in their mind of who God the Father is. And, and so that, we have to take that responsibility. Yeah, and that, that provoking not your children to wrath, Yeah, that is crucial. And I think I think us guys are, like it or not, I think we're kind of, um, we're kind of... We're stern and we're, we're stern on our children. We're tough on them. We're, we're tough on our children and we are... It's very likely that we would provoke our children to wrath if we're not extremely careful. That's right. And we like to pester them and bug them to death sometimes. I don't know about you, but like, there's something about being a dad. You just like to aggravate your children in a in a loving way if there is such a thing. That's right. <laughs> but you yeah. can take, like tickling them, for instance. You can take yeah. that too far, and you yeah. can make them angry, and then they, they're wrathful and... Yeah. And you ruin relationships because you're you're pestering them too much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, it's it's a big responsibility, and that's certainly one part of it. There's no doubt about that. Right. Uh, but I, I'd like to give just three three characteristics of God the Father. Number one is, is you spend quality and quantity of time with your children. And the reason I say both of those, I had a teacher at Free Hartman, uh, my psychology teacher, and he said a lot of fathers will spend Five minutes with their child, they say, oh, I spent quality time with my child. But you know what? That little child is not going to think about five minutes. You know what that child thinks? My daddy was with me. He spent time with me all day today. He spent time painting this picture with me or putting this puzzle together. And so we can't say, oh, I, I watched him jump on the trampoline for five minutes. I spent quality time with him. That's, that's not that's what, the, not what they need. They need quality and quantity time. We need to spend time with them. And be involved in their lives. And and Drew, before you go on to that, uh, if you've got multiple children, each individual child needs individualized attention. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And it's, you know, don't ever put one on a pedestal. 
Barstool and leave the other ones out. Don't show favoritism. Look at Jacob and Joseph. Yep. That's how that turned out for that situation. Uh, the second thing is love your children's mother. And if I want my son to grow up and to find a godly woman and to treat her the right way, it starts with how I treat his mother. And he needs to see that in the home, that I love his mother and that I respect her. Things we just talked about. That's something a godly father will do. He'll love children's mother. The last thing is pass on a legacy. Pass on a legacy. I'm going to read that. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is David's instructions to Solomon. And this is so powerful because if you if you knew you had one final moment with your son, what would you give him? What would you leave him with? And this is what David did for Solomon. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart, with all their soul, he said you shall not lack a man the throne of Israel. So David's final instructions, his final charge to Solomon, was very reminiscent of what we find in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Yep. Solomon reiterates what his father told him. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. He heard that from his father. And his father was the man for God's own heart. David emphasized what was most important, and that was fearing God and keeping his commandments. And so if we're going to be godly fathers, we may not be able to leave our children a lot of money. We may not be able to leave them a big business or whatever. But what we must leave them with is a legacy that they'll remember that what's most important is to fear God and keep his commandments. I really appreciate what you're saying there. and You know, Drew, I think sometimes us dads, with our insecurities, we think, my kids got to see that I'm perfect. No, they don't. No one's no, perfect. What? Both of those men that you just mentioned, David and Solomon, their lives were riddled with mistakes. Yeah. But we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And based off those contextual clues at the end of his life, what he was emphasizing, I'm confident that David died right. And you look at Solomon and horrible mistakes with all these wives and concubines and idolatry and and materialism and drunkenness and you name it, Solomon did it. But I look at Ecclesiastes as basically his repentance letter. That's right. Hey, I tried all this and it, I, I did not find any fulfillment in it. So let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so at the end of so Solomon's life, I believed he died right too. So what's the point? The point is we as, as men and specifically as husbands and fathers, are we perfect? Absolutely not. We'll never be perfect. Our lives are riddled with mistakes, just like David's, just like Solomon's, just like all these other men that you read about in the Bible that were faithful. But we've got to do our best, and we've got to lead. And like you said, we've got to leave that legacy of godliness to our children and emphasize that throughout our lives as their fathers. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Um. Uh, just kind of the five that I had, and again, these are the exact same that I, that I had for a, a husband, a provider, 
Again, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if a man does not provide for his own, especially his own household, he's worse than an infidel. That includes our wives. That also includes our children. How many times do parents say, you know, I want my children to have better than what I had growing up? And that's certainly the case. Um, but for the last two or three generations in this country, we've been so richly blessed. Um, yeah, we want to provide for our children. But one thing I would caution us on is let's not spoil them by providing things in excess that really they don't need. Uh, we need to be careful about that. But still, we must have this duty to provide for our children. But also diligence, uh, just as we need to be diligent, hard workers in that providing for our families, we need to be diligent also in this respect in that training up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that is hard work. I'm sure you know this. Um, It's exhausting, quite frankly. Um, When we're tired from a day's work, uh, as preachers, maybe we counseled somebody. Uh, Maybe we went to a Bible study over at some people's house or what have you. And then we get home and, okay, it's time for family Bible time. And that 5, 10, 15 minutes, however long it is, at times when you're tired from the the weariness of the day, it can be tempting to let that slide for a night. And then before you know it, you miss two or three nights. And before you know it, you're not doing it anymore. And that's not good. We need to put forth the effort, even as exhausting as it is. And uh, especially if you have young children, they're not exactly cooperating very well. And they're they're bouncing around off the walls. And uh, it can be difficult, but we've got to be diligent in that effort of the spiritual guidance that they need. And also, this is something that I'm trying to work on myself, not just our children, but also back to being husbands. We need to provide that guidance for our wives, too. And sometimes that can be more difficult because uh, with kids, it's one thing. But with a a full-fledged adult right by your side, it takes true intimacy, spiritually speaking, to have those kind of conversations with with your wife. So provider, diligence, uh, leadership. Again, Ephesians 6, 4, you already mentioned that. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do do wives aid in that? Absolutely. Do they have a crucial role to play in that? Sure. But the onus, if you will, is on the husbands and the fathers to really nail that down as the leaders of our children. And then independence, again, Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall be one flesh. Not only does that apply to the marital relationship, but it also applies to parenting. And you're going to have all kinds of input, uh, wanted or not wanted input from in-laws. Um, you know, you're going to, to to use the biblical expression, you're going to use the rod? <laughs> well, I don't think you should do that. Well, I am the father of these children, and I'm going to do it right. You know, I'm, I'm going to use it sparingly and and in a uh, properly meted out fashion. Uh, But we don't need to let in-laws try to interfere with us trying to be the biblical father with regard to discipline or uh, provision, uh, training, anything. Any aspects of our fatherhood, 
That's our role, not in-laws. Absolutely, it is. So it independence. Is. And, and our in-laws, we love them, but they've got to respect that, too. Right. It's, and I tell my son, and I'm sure you tell Andrew the same thing, and all of your children, that when we discipline them, I tell Jackson, I say, you know why I do this? Number one, because I love you, but also because the Bible tells that it is. Yep. And I want him growing up understanding that when I discipline him, it's out of love, but it's it's out of necessity and responsibility as the father to do that. Now, right. Does that mean that my wife is completely void of that? No, absolutely not. Especially right. if I'm not there. Uh, oh. If I'm there and, 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 you know, if I'm there and my in-laws are there or somebody else, you know, let me discipline my child. Right. Because that's my responsibility. I'm the one that needs to carry that out. And that's, and that just goes back to being a godly father and understanding that, like you said, you know, we're not going to be perfect. There might be times when we don't discipline the way we should, or maybe we, we go too far from time to time. Whatever the case may be, we're going to make mistakes. But to always remember, we're doing this because we fear God, and we're trying to do what He wants us to do. Um, it's just extremely important to do that. It sure is, and you know, it's. I can always remember as a kid thinking, eh, I'll be able to handle this. But when the time came for me to discipline my son, I was yeah. a basket case after that. I mean, and you know, your your parents tell you, you know, this is harder on me than it is you. I was like, yeah, right, when I was a kid. But it really is. I mean, that is, yeah. first time I had to discipline my, my son, and those pitiful eyes looked up at me, and I had to explain to him, okay, this is the reason for that. I explained that, and I held it together long enough to do that. But then afterwards, I had to excuse myself from the room because I was yeah. upset. I was like, man, this is hard. But it, if you love them, you'll discipline them. And I always explain this to my kids. Look, I love you. That's why I, I, I'm disciplining you. I want you to obey, and I want you to grow up to be a Christian and yeah. and righteous. And and I, you don't have to be perfect. I'm not saying that, but you you, you have to learn. And I explained to them that, um, you know, if I if I didn't love them, then I'd just let them do whatever they want. But then they might hurt themselves. They might grow up and, and go to jail because they've broken the law. I mean, and ultimately, if they don't learn to obey God, they would go to hell. And, and that's the worst thing. That's the last thing I want for my children. Right. And so you explain all these things to them. And it's funny, but... When proper discipline is meted out, it never fails. What do my children? What do my children do? They hold their arms out to me, and they yeah. want the, a big hug because they want to. They want to uh, reclaim that relationship with their father. Right. And when you see them look at you and hold their arms out to you, you know you're doing something right because they they want to reestablish that right relationship with their father. And the thing about discipline is, if you do it early, uh, the King James says, but times, I mean, I believe, which basically means uh, promptly, as soon as it's needed. And yes. if you do that early, when they get older, it's not going to be needed very much because they will have learned to respect their parents, to love their parents so much so that it kills them to, to let their parents down. The last thing they want to do is let their parents down. And so they discipline them on their own selves in their own mind. And that's exactly what we want for them so that they will grow up to be faithful Christians and they will discipline themselves. That's what it's all about. So, and one other thing about discipline, I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but it's important. And that is 
there's a hard balance between discipline and showing mercy. And that's really hard for us to figure out. But I think we've got to try to figure that out. Sometimes, uh, do you want to just jump down their throat every time they make the slightest slip up? I don't think so. I think you can be too overbearing and make them just give up. Well, I can't do anything right. You don't want your, your kids thinking they can't do anything right. So you show some mercy from time to time, but you also have to draw some hard lines and be like, look, you've messed up, <laughs> you know? So uh, that's just one more thing about discipline. Uh, but there's one more thing about being a godly father that I had, and that was affection. We don't need to be cold toward our children. Just as our wives need affection, our children need affection. You know, they need that hug. They need that handshake. They need that high five. They need that getting down on the floor and, and wrestling with them and playing with them. They Absolutely. need that. And um, I think, sadly, you know, we get into the characteristics of men and ruggedness and strong will and that sort of thing. And sometimes we confuse that with, well, uh, a dad can't ever have a, a soft side in the sense that, you know, if he shows any amount of emotion, uh, if he shows any kind of physical affection whatsoever, uh, that he must be weak. Uh, I think we can, I think we can mess up if we begin to thinking like that. And so show some affection to our children. I believe that's important as well. So um, the last thing that we want to mention for this episode is we've talked about characteristics of godly men in general. We've talked about godly fathers, godly husbands. The last thing I want to mention is that I'm afraid that manhood has kind of gotten a bad rap in recent decades. Some manly traits, such as this kind of ruggedness that we've talked about, uh, getting your hands dirty to get the job done, hard work, um, maybe even ha even having to step up and defend one's family. You know, we, we could talk about self-defense. Uh, male leadership, and we see that in the Bible, not only in the family, but in the church as well. Things such as this have been given a bad rap in uh, modern agendas, uh, on TV, in movies, uh, in the talk shows, uh, in modern pop psychology, etc. Drew, how can we reclaim biblical manhood uh, in the sense of making sure that we ourselves are biblical men and also that we can train our sons, for instance, if we have sons, to grow up and, and act like men? And that's actually a phrase in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Act, act like men. And so the Bible distinguishes what men are supposed to act like, what women are supposed to act like as well. So there is such a thing. So how can we reclaim that biblical manhood even in the face of all these agendas that are trying to blur those lines? Right. Well, I'd like to begin by plugging another podcast entitled Authentically Adam. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, if our listeners have, but it's by Wayne Jones. That is Brother Keck's brother-in-law. He preaches out in San Marcos, Texas. And it's on the Light Network where you can find it. Uh, but it's called Authentically Adam. And the whole focus of that podcast is to restore biblical manhood. And so when I looked at these discussion thoughts, I thought, well, I, I definitely want to plug that because I've listened to the first two seasons of it. And I'm going to tell you, it's he addresses some of these things that we've got to restore biblical manhood. How can we do it? And I think that's... That's something, and you mentioned it, it's, it's plagued our society. 
it, it is everywhere in our society. Uh, and and here's the thing, and, and you, you treat it. If we don't teach our sons and we allow society to raise them, we're going to be in trouble. Yep. More trouble than we are right now. Um, and so we've got to step up and do so. But I just, you know, very simply, I know this might sound cliche, but there's two things we have to do. Number one, we got to step up. And number two, we have to accept the God-given role and responsibility to be the spiritual leaders of our home. That's where it all starts. If we don't have it in the home, how can we expect it to be in society? It begins in each individual home. And the man, being the spiritual leader, steps up, like Joshua said. Regardless of what goes on, regardless of what is going on in America, regardless of what 2020 throws our way, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to step up and leave my family because I had a God-given role and responsibility to do so. Um, I, I'd like to read this from the book of Esther. And I know we focus on Esther. We think about her. We think about uh, Ahasuerus. We think about uh, Haman. And, and we can go through so many great things. But so, I wonder if we focus on Mordecai, though. Mordecai the Jew. That, that was a biblical man right there. Absolutely. Um, this is something that, that Wayne Jones mentioned on his podcast, but it's in Esther chapter 10, and you know, it's only three verses. But the final statement made about Mordecai, I think, might be helpful in restoring or reclaiming biblical manhood. It said, For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all his countrymen. I think those final two phrases... He was received by the multitude. He was well known. He was out in the community. People knew who he was. They had respect for him. But he was seeking the good of his people. That's the first one. And the second one, he was speaking peace to all his country. Are we seeking the good of our people? Uh, are we doing what's best to elevate others around us? If we get caught up in society, we're going to, you know, we see men, like we talked about, trying to act like a woman. Let's just be frank and blunt about it. That's not what God had in mind. We need to accept the responsibility. Say, you know what? I'm a man. That's how God made me. Here's my responsibility. I'm going to do everything in my power to live up to that. And like this example from Mordecai, seeking the, 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 uh, the well-being of others around us and our sphere of influence, stepping up and being the man and leading in whatever capacity that is, but also speaking peace. Um, it's not that we're trying to create more problems and more confusion, but if we want to promote peace and create that, let's just be the people God wants us to be and the people He designed us to be. And for the man, that's to understand what God's will is for us, His role is for us, be accountable to it, be responsible, and do our best to apply it in every walk of life. Absolutely. If we... We speak that peace, we, we be that peace to those around us, then what's it going to do? Hopefully it's going to spread to others. We're going right. to be that example, that salt and that light that we're supposed to be. And, you know, we can change our communities, which hopefully will then spread to other communities, which ho hopefully spreads to states in our nation and our world. Uh, right. We try to be that salt and that light, and we spread that biblical peace. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of agendas that talk about peace that really is not biblical peace. 
Um, but biblical peace, we, we spread that. And where is that found? Really, it's found in a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. And if, if we are that ourselves as, as Christians, as fathers, as husbands, then we're going to help save our families, which yeah. is what Noah did. He saved his family. He tried to save others, but nobody listened. But he did save his family. Okay, well, yeah. we need to save our families, and then we need to try to save others. If we do that, we're going to help our our, our world, our, our community be a better place, um, at, at least on our front doorsteps, and hopefully it will spread to others as well. Sure. I appreciate you mentioning that uh, authentically, Adam. I'll put that in our show notes as well. That is a good podcast. I've listened to an episode or two of it as well, and I plan on adding that one to my repertoire of, of ones to listen to <laughs> frequently because it was very, very, very good and a much-needed topic. And so if, if there are men listening to this episode who want to truly put forth the effort to be better men, better husbands, better fathers, uh, better leaders in the church, then that's definitely a good one to, to go listen to for further content. Right. Also, another good one to listen to for further content is Drew's podcast, Weathering the Storm. And uh, you want to kind of plug that a little bit more? We've talked about it briefly, but uh, you know, there's so many storms of life, especially this year. Um, that's a very needed topic, too. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about it. Uh, we just, in fact, Tuesday, yesterday, uh, we concluded Season 2. Uh, season 1 was weathering the storm of, and we talked about a lot of different storms, whether it's fatigue, whether it's a depression, uh, maybe temptation, whatever the case may be, all the different storms. In season two, we actually had guests, and you mentioned you were one of my guests uh, on the season. We had, uh, instead of weathering the storm of, it was weathering the storm by. Whether it's you know by trusting or by hoping or by maintaining and all these different uh, things that we are to keep doing. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. I hope it's been helpful to people. Uh, but certainly, you know, season two is wound down. Now you and I both are looking forward to Scattered Abroad uh, in a few months. And hoping to join forces and, and have our content spread out to more people. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about it, and certainly encourage everybody uh, to listen. And hopefully, it'll help you to uh, weather the storm of life. For sure. Yeah, I've listened to to quite a few episodes of that, and it's very good as well, and uh, certainly very helpful during trying times such as this. So I appreciate you for for mentioning that. And as Drew mentioned, we will be joining the Scattered Abroad podcast network come January of 2021. There's going to be seven of us podcasters to date on that network and lots of good varied content, various topics that will be very beneficial for you, the listener. So I would encourage you to go to the Scattered Abroad Facebook page. Uh, There's an Instagram page as well. Like and follow those and share those, if you will. That'll help us a lot grow that podcast network. And we're looking forward to getting that started very, very soon. And uh, if you would, give these podcast ratings in the iTunes store and things of that nature as well. That helps uh, bump these up uh, in the search terms so that more people can find it. And the more the better as we're trying to get God's Word out there in these biblical topics that are much needed. So, Drew, I thank you for joining me for the podcast today. Lord willing, Drew will be back with us next week as we have discussed the everyday Christian male 
this week. Well, next week we're going to discuss the everyday Christian female. So I hope that you'll join us next week for that uh, very important topic.